This is the Registry Podcast. Welcome to the Real Perspectives Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder and publisher of the Registry, Vladimir Bosanitz. Today, we're thrilled to introduce Keith Wasserman, the founder of Gelt Inc. In 2008, amidst the recession, Keith embarked on a journey that led to the acquisition of over $3 billion in multifamily and self-storage properties, primarily across the Western United States. He's not just a numbers guy. Keith oversees operations, marketing, investor relations, acquisitions, and much more at Gelt, making him a true industry visionary. Beyond business success, Keith is a dedicated philanthropist. He leads Gelt's charitable giving program and co-founded the Resident Relief Foundation, a nonprofit aimed at preventing renter evictions during unexpected financial crises. As a member of YPO, Tiger 21, and the Milken Institute Young Leaders Council, Keith's influence extends beyond real estate, demonstrating his commitment to growth, leadership, and making a positive impact. Join us for an inspiring conversation with Keith Wasserman, a trailblazer in real estate and a force for good in the community. Hey, Keith. Good morning. How are you? Doing well, Vladimir. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. How are you doing? How are things? Where do we find you today? Yeah, I'm uh, sitting in my office here in uh, Brentwood in Los Angeles. And um, yeah, it's it's been an interesting environment, just uh, taking it one day at a time and uh, trying to make things happen every day. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Is everybody kind of, uh, you know, back in the full swing of things uh, at the office and all of that? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, uh, over the last 12 months was the quietest in terms of acquisitions and dispositions. We uh, didn't do a deal for around 12 months. Generally, okay. we're buying a deal a quarter pace and usually selling one or two a year too. So um, it was a, a quiet year, but um, uh, the, the engines are back uh, in full throttle and we're, uh, you know, the market's unthawed and we're, we're starting to uh, see some transaction volume pick up and make some moves here. So. Great, great. Does that mean everybody was off for a year? Nobody was in the office? <laughs> no, definitely definitely not off. Uh, dealing with our existing portfolio, uh, making sure you know it's performing uh, to a, as projected, and um, sort of being patient and waiting for uh, the right opportunities. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, um, Keith, as a way of introduction, would you mind telling us, you know, a little bit about you, your background in the industry, sort of how you got to, you know, where you are today, and then we'll go uh, do a little deep dive into the business as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I started Gelt in December of two thousand eight with my cousin Damien Langeri. Um, we, uh, I graduated college in 07 and we were always trying to start some kind of business together and ide- ideating on different ideas. And he said, why don't we, um, get into real estate The You know, the timing is like things are in the toilet, the values, and you know, there's a ton of foreclosures and we could pick up, uh, these small buildings. Um, we, we started with a fourplex in Bakersfield, California of all places, uh, two hours North of Los Angeles. He said, we could pick up this building for $150,000 and it previously sold for 500,000. And uh, our mortgage payment would be around six hundred bucks a month, and yeah. each unit rented for six hundred bucks a month. So it was sort of like a no brainer. And I uh, followed him up to Bakersfield, and you know, even though LA's not too far from Bakersfield, ne- never had been, but sort of, uh, you know, fell in love with the town. It's a very industrious place, based on uh, has business of oil and agriculture, and we thought that would gre- be a great place to start investing, uh, just due to affordability and ha- how those industries would lead us out of re- recession. So. That's where my journey started, um, but 
I mean, as a kid, I've been always very entrepreneurial. I've never actually had a, uh, a formal job. I've always sort of done my own thing. Uh, my first business was, um, we were one of the largest sellers on eBay of, of electronics and clothing and okay. DVDs. And so I've always been very entrepreneurial, but, um, real estate sort of just fell in my lap, uh, and I kept an open eye and uh, sort of learned the business by doing. Yeah, yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, that's uh, that's the best way to to do it. I I, I think right. Um, so with those humble beginnings in you know Bakersfield, tell us a little bit about then what happened. You know, how did the organization grow and um, what have you been doing since? Yeah. So. Um you know, looking back, those are some of my fondest memories. We were driving two hours each way to Bakersfield and overseeing the renovations of these buildings and leasing them out and acquiring one after another and being extremely hands-on. And it was just Damien and I. And um, yeah, we bought around 13 of these fourplexes that were all bank-owned uh, okay. REOs and, and sort of cut our teeth on those. And then a full year later, we realized there's something bigger than this and there's a bigger business where we could put groups of investors together and buy larger apartment communities. So uh, t- we made a big leap. A year later, we bought a 78-unit building. And the way we made that leap is we brought on two key members to our team, one being uh, my father, who helped us qualify for loans and helped us bring a lot of our first investors, which were either long-term clients or family friends of his. And then we brought on another gentleman uh, who, who we learned the business from pretty much, Adrian Goldstein, who had experience owning and operating larger multifamily properties for for his uh, uh, family. So yeah, that's that's how we cut our teeth and learned and and uh, sort of <laughs> brought in one investor at a time and started buying one property at a time. And Bakersfield turned into uh, 350 units for us over 2009 and 10. And we moved into Phoenix, uh, 2010, 11, okay. through, 15, through 15. That was our biggest market. We acquired around uh, 2,500 units there, but literally just one property at a time and one investor at a time and kept uh, growing at that you know natural compounding rate. And it's uh, yeah, it's gotten pretty sizable now. I mean, we've acquired over 10,000 apartment units um, in most major markets, Denver and West. And uh, current, por- current portfolio sits at around uh, 5,000 apartment units. Um, we also started buying self-storage properties four years ago. We've accumulated around 700,000 square feet of self-storage, which has been uh, really uh, doing very well for, for us and our investors. So, um, yeah, that's, that's sort of been my journey so, so far, and uh, happy to talk about anything in between. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Keith, what's interesting about what you're talking uh, about your growth and some of the areas in which you're invested is you're, you're kind of – you know, going after the sort of, you know, residential tenant, which, you know, is sort of a, you know, a monthly kind of, you know, necessity, obviously, right? Um, I would argue that even um, self-storage is sort of the same, you know, you know, basically the same customer, right? Um, I'm I'm curious, was there something about, you know, that, that sort of appealed to you from kind of in, uh, you know, a customer slash end user perspective, or was it just at the financials, kind of um, as as you said, the you know initial investment, the, the the you know you know you know financials just kind of lined up, and it seemed like the right thing to do at the right time. Yeah, I mean, so the barriers to entry are pretty low on small, you know, buying homes. To, call it one to four unit, which are residentially you could get residential mortgages on, and um, we like different real estate asset classes. And I personally like any asset classes where you have a lot of tenants and. Um, you know, nowadays we buy buildings that are 100 units and up, 200 units and up. So you're always going to be pretty well occupied. You, you, if you're buying a building that's single tenants or two, three tenants, I mean, you could have 
some serious issues. If if a, a, if a tenant vacates, your your cash flow is a lot lumpier, right? You're you're yeah. going to be vacant for a while potentially. You have uh, TI dollars to spend, broker commissions, vacancy. So and you can't move rents um, to market annually because the the leases are longer term. So I'd say um, money's to be made in those. In, just, in those kind of places when things are really depressed and but those aren't they're tough to hold long term also so um we love self-storage because it's minimal capex to, to hold long term um apartments uh you know ton a ton of smaller tenants uh where you're always going to be pretty occupied if the if the unit sets vacant too long just lower the, the rent a little and you know get it get it occupied and um and yeah it's um it's 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 that's the characteristics of those asset classes which i love we, we also looked at potentially buying single family homes um, when we started the business. But I realized it, it managerially it'd be really difficult with, yeah. you know, let's say we had 5,000 homes, but they're 5,000 roofs, 5,000 HVAC, like all, all located in different markets. And this way, you know, you have more economies of scale. You have professional onsite management. I think uh, it just runs smoother and easier having uh, apartment communities versus buying individual homes all over. Now, nowadays people are buying and building uh, for rent small, uh, like, uh, built to rent communities, which I, I really like, but um, which run sort of like an apartment community, but they're not located, you know, one home here, one home there. They're all in the same community. Right, right. Which effectively is like a multifamily product. It's just that the units are on a lot. <laughs> on yeah, their it's, own, like, right? it's like horizontal mount exactly. multifamily, yeah, yeah. essentially. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, as you look back, uh, Keith, what would you say are some of the biggest lessons, you know, learned for you and uh, your partners? Yeah, great question. So, I'd say some of the biggest lessons. Um, you know, we uh, some of the lowest performing deals were uh, when we sort of went against what we always have tried to do and believe. So, we've always bought in markets that are expanding in terms of population. But in in one case, we saw the size of this portfolio and thought it was you know below market rents and whatnot. But it was um, we started buying mobile home parks too. We at one time owned nine of them. And uh, this was a three-part portfolio in Pennsylvania, but it located in small towns where, you know, population was uh, not, it was declining actually. So yeah. it was hard to push rents. It was hard to manage, you know, where it wasn't, and it wasn't our expertise. And so it had a lot of things going against it for us. And we, we still winded up with around an 8 to 10% uh, IRR, which to me is a win because um, we've only underperformed on three or four deals. We've always sort of outperformed our underwriting and what we've shown investors. So um, my, my goal is to never lose a dollar of principal, and you know we're gonna have some deals that maybe don't turn out as good. But I'd say the, the lessons learned are focus. Um, so we sort of cut out self. Uh, what do you call it? mobile? Home, we cut out mobile home parks uh, from our operation to focus on, on the two asset classes we knew best. Also, um, we we realized we weren't the best uh, property managers in that space. So all of our um, apartments and self storage, we hire best in class third party property managers and. For uh, mobile home parks, there really isn't any great third parties of yeah. scale. So we had to manage it ourselves, and we just weren't good at that. I mean, that wasn't our core competency. So I'd say that got us in trouble. Um, I'd say uh, when when you have to make the debt, you know, and have creative debt in order to make the deal work, which was happening the last few years, um, we have always been a long-term fixed-rate borrower. We sort of went against those principles on three deals, which we ha- we bought with floating-rate debt and it's uh, coming back to hurt us because the, you know cash flows uh, got whacked to uh, you know from call it like from six or seven percent to one or two percent in some yeah. instances yeah. and um, you know just it's caused some problems in the portfolio but 
we're, we're uh, you know, we're, I'm thankful that we only have three versus, you know, all 30-ish properties we own. So a small percentage of the overall, and, and we'll get through it. Um, it hurt when we went to sell buildings over the last 13, 14 years, like whenever we sold, if it had existing debt, the borrowers didn't want it because the rates kept going down and we had to eat these big prepayment penalties. So, but we, we felt like we were rather, it was better to be conservative and, you know, ha- have that happen versus be uh, at risk with, with interest rates. And now that's exactly happening. And it's going to cause a lot of, it's already causing a lot of duress in, in different asset classes. It started with office, but it's going to, it's going to work its way. I'm sure to uh, multifamily and self-storage yeah, uh, yeah. eventually here. So. Yeah, and you started the business back in 08, which is sort of almost the bottom of kind of when when the cycle was um, at that point in time. And obviously, you know, over the last couple of years, things have gone up and down as well. Um, you mentioned a little bit about sort of your experience with the sort of interest rates in general. But as you sort of canvass the market, um, at least in the areas in which you're active, both geographically and also in the in the part of the industry, um, where, where do you see, you know, the industry here we are, you know, almost at the, you know, start of Q4 here in, uh, you know, 2023, what, what, what are some of the things that you would say kind of, you know, characterize the market today? Yeah. Um, I'd say a lot of uncertainty, a lot of fear. Um, you know, we just completed a deal, uh, after a year we didn't buy a deal, but it was a very challenging environment to raise capital, uh, for, for three different reasons. One, the asset we bought was in Southern California, which a lot of people read the headlines that, you know, people, California is losing population and California is very anti-landlord. And, you know, even though some of these things are true, it's, um, you got to take it with a grain of salt. And I think all that risk was priced in and we're buying these, we just closed on this deal at, at what I believe is a amazing uh, value. It's, it's, you know, down 30 plus percent from the peak and has a huge amount of room to, to grow rents and, and, there's very little new supply, which is the most important thing in our industry in self-storage and, and apartments. So you have the Orange County market is where we bought it, and there's only 1% of existing housing stock being added to the supply, whereas right. a, a market like Phoenix, for example, I think it's up to 10-plus percent in the next year of added supply, which will exacerbate the <clears throat> the uh, you know occupancy going down, which will pu- you know push rents lower as well. So. Um, I think uh, that'll create some buying opportunities in those boom and bust markets, which have lower barriers to entry. Um, I'd say we're seeing a lot of issues with with borrowers that had floating rate debt. And um, with those maturities coming up, I think that'll make for a very interesting time to see some more, you know, forced selling. Um, What else uh, are we seeing? Um, You know, values are down across the board pretty significantly. And People aren't buying much because with debt where it is, it's hard to see cash flow. So th- another challenge we had is cash flow started a little bit less than what you could get in, in risk-free U.S. Treasuries. But my counterpoint is over a seven-year to 10-year projected hold of this asset we just bought, I think we're going to trounce that 5% kind of yield. I think it's nice that people have some yield in their money market accounts and treasuries, but I think that's just good for like short-term um, kind of capital. And there's better uses for if you have a long-term horizon to put money in stock market and real estate, which generally has higher rates of return over a long period of time than, than 5%. So, uh, and for real estate, you have more, all the tax advantages too. So it was a lot of s- selling and educating my investor base and yeah. we, we got it across the finish line. It was a big raise. It was around 32 and a half million of equity. And, um, but we got it done and, um, we're, we're off to the races and trying to find more deals to acquire. And, and, uh, we're, we're, uh, we talked a little offline, but we're about to launch our first, uh, commingled blind pool fund and uh 
we have a great track record and I think this is a great time to raise capital and we're going to deploy around 150 to $200 million of equity with the fund and match that with around 150 to 200 of syndicated capital. So yeah, we'll, we'll have a lot of firepower in the next two, three years. The goal is to buy around a billion dollars more of real estate. And, um, you know, when people are fearful and, and uh, this is the best time to get involved. And that's what we saw back in 09, 10, 11, when we were buying and when you know, now a lot of stuff was going on and now yeah. things are, you know, it, it echoes to it for different reasons, but it, things are, uh, you know, eerily similar in terms of value destruction and yeah, and where I think things are going to be, you know, five, seven, ten years from now. So. Yeah, and you kind of jumped into the sort of the area that I wanted to you know talk about next, which is, um, you know, given some of the things that you outlined about the industry and. I think some of the hardships that you've gone through those three or four deals where you worked with like a variable, you know, rate, right? I think there is a lot more folks out there like that. And I was going to ask a question, you know, is this a good time to, you know, raise a fund to, um, you know, capture some of that opportunity? And it sound, sounds like it is. Um, are there, so you are basically operating in a market, sort of Denver West. Are there some specific markets in, 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 in you know, that area as much as you want to share um, that you are more excited about than some others? Yeah. So um, our thesis is we try to identify a market and then try to buy at least a thousand units in those markets that we identify. So right now we're act- actively buying in Southern California, uh, which would include LA County, Ventura County, Orange County. Uh, and even San Diego, we're trying to break into. And then um, we're active in Denver, which is now our number one market. Around half the portfolio is in Denver. Okay. Uh, Salt, Salt Lake City is number three, and Portland's number four. So uh, those are the four markets we're actively buying in. We have Phoenix back on our radar. We, we exited Phoenix in 2017, but we're starting to gear up the engines again and start conversations with the brokers and sort of uh, see, you know, pay more attention to what's going on in that market as I think we'll be back in that market in the next, you know, call it year or two. Um, so those are the markets we're in. At one time we did uh, extremely well buying in Albuquerque like six years ago. Um, we weren't able to really scale much. We bought one asset for like $50 million and we bought it, a I think like a six and a half cap and sold it for a way compressed cap and rents started to really move a lot and, you know, sold it for like 114 million after five, six years. And, you know, we usually the biggest returns I've seen are a, when it's hardest for us to raise money and B yeah, when, yeah. um, when, when, uh, we're contrarian doing contrarian kind of moves that turn out to be right. So, um, uh, I'd say buying an Albuquerque was very contrarian five, six years ago, Salt Lake city eight years ago. Um, I'd say raising capital and buying now in Southern California is contrarian, which I, I'm thinking it's going to hopefully be right, uh, long-term. Um, what else? Uh, Phoenix in 2010, 11, like those early years, rents were actually still declining when we started buying. Um, we probably could have waited a few more years to to really back up the bus, but um, it, we built a sizable portfolio there that we did extremely well on when we exited in 2017-ish, and that helped create a track record. You know, we returned a ton of capital to investors, and then you know, we when we started buying more deals, they they gave it back and and then some, and told yeah. their friends and family. So that enabled us to grow and stuff. But yeah, I think is now is a great time. Uh, to raise this discretionary capital. And we've never had that. We've always raised money deal by deal. So we're excited, you know, to line up this, this bucket of money um, that will uh, be able to acquire either larger deals, which I think there'll be some more portfolio sales, or we'll be able to go after multiple deals at the, at the same time. Whereas today, if we have a big deal tied up, we usually have to really focus on raising the capital and closing that, that one yeah. opportunity. Yeah. On a, on a macro level, there have been, you know, some, you know, media reports around, 
regional banks potentially being exposed to you know the multifamily market and um, that in general sort of being kind of a you know maybe not a contagion but something that could you know cause um, you know perhaps some hardship through the economy um, as a as a whole. Do, do you see that happening? Do you kind of follow in on on that level too, or or do you think that um, you know the banks are going to be fine? It's it's really just a matter of sort of um, this running through its system, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to know. I, I couldn't have predicted what happened. I mean, we we um, we had great relationship with, for, for example, First Republic Bank. We've done a lot of uh, you know bar- borrowing from them and construction loans and different stuff. So yeah, who who could have thought? I, I just think um, you know we mitigate risk by we bank with uh, three or four different banks to spread that risk. Um, also, we do most of our borrowing is generally Fannie and Freddie, the agency you know lo- loans that we we get for these properties. We have a decent amount of um you know life co loans and some some bank loans as well but yeah i think um yeah for example we were thinking of selling this property and the bank it's normally an assumable kind of loan but i don't think they're going to want they they'd rather have the the cash back than than keep that loan outstanding with a new borrower so i think um banks are hungry for deposits right now um we've used that to our advantage to help us uh you know start new relationships with with good banks that are hungry to, for our business and we've you know, establish large lines of credit to help also close large deals and stuff and um, move depo- a lot of deposits over. And yeah, I think when there's change, there's opportunity. And I think uh, there's, there's been a lot of change in, in yeah. these kind of regional banks. And um, I don't know what long term, yeah, are we going to ha- only have three or four major banks? I, I hope not. I don't think so because we're, we bank primarily with the smaller bank, small, I don't know how small, small is, but like ones that are, give us a lot of ton of customer service and really, you know, meet our needs. And yeah, I, I don't think it's good if there's a monopoly on the banking and there's only like three or four big banks, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that certainly makes sense. Are there any specific requirements that the banks are making these days that, you know, are either surprising to you or uh, maybe uh, make sense to you based on kind of where the industry is? Um, I mean, we haven't borrowed recently from a bank we just closed the deal it was it was an agency loan um we did a refi recently it was agency so i'd say um you know it was funny we were doing a construction loan with first republic at the time and we didn't know if that loan was going through when they were going under and i guess uh, chase took on that those obligations but yeah i think um yeah all sort of status quo still i mean uh, banks aren't really competitive in terms of rate right now compared to agencies um at a, you know, at a time we were borrowing for some of these debt funds, which, uh, you know, should have signaled that there was going to be issues because generally, um, you know, like I said, if you have to finagle debt to make a deal work, it's, yeah. it's usually not, not a good thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Would you guys, uh, consider going into development as well? So, so my wife Spear has all, all the ground up development. It's sort of like a sister company. We share resources, but she spearheads all her own deals. And, there's a lot more risk involved in development, yes. so you have to be compen- you have to be compensated for that because there is so much more risk, and especially building in areas that are high barrier to entry when there's a lot of nimbyism and a lot of. But once if you're able to get it built and it's built, like you're created a huge amount of value, and um, so I'd say, yeah, um, my wife about half her projects that she spearheads are are ground up development, and the other half are buying existing. So she tries to balance that risk, but. Um, it's, it is definitely a different animal development, especially yeah. in, in Southern California here. But um, it's uh, it's just a very small percentage of the whole whole business that we have. 
So. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this is part of, if you can call it sort of a family of companies, right, that are kind of related through your you know, name and whatever, right? Um, tell us about sort of that and how you've tried to integrate uh, some of those operations, um, including your Gelt Venture Partners group, right? Um, you know, what, what, what is the sort of, you know, purpose of, you know, you know, expanding into some of these other areas? Yeah. I mean, um, to be honest, I, I thought the grass was greener and, uh, you know, mobile home parks, like was, it, it is a great space to be in, but you got to really focus on just that. So, um, we've sort of, we expanded into a lot of different arenas and verticals and we're, we're sort of in the process of narrowing down and focusing. I've learned the best returns in life are from focus and you know, compounding. So like really focusing on, on, on multifamily and, and, uh, and self-storage right now. And, um, but definitely, uh, we, we have other things that we touch tangentially. So my my co-founders and I started a uh, fintech company called Demuso, which shares a lot of the same investor base as, as the Geltz, uh, you know, partnerships, but we, we, um, essentially we help our customers are large property management companies and owner operators. Uh, Gelt is a customer, uh, we have around 5,000 units, you know, with Demuso, but Demuso is now active on around 350,000 units where we help our customers go 100% digital in terms of rent collection. So uh, industry is sort of still antiquated. A huge percentage of rent is paid by paper check still um, and uh, cashier check money order, et cetera. So we've helped our customers go totally digital. And that, and that business has grown consistently um, very much year over year. And I, I'm not involved in the day-to-day, but that's sort of, you know, the genesis of that was from the, you know, from our industry where, where we saw sure. problem, yeah. problems and stuff. So, and then we, um, you know, we, we, we thought early on in the, you know, Gelt days, maybe could, is this going to be kind of some kind of alternative asset manager? So we got into, um, call it like early stage VC kind of investments. And we just, that wasn't our forte. Um, you know, I, I, I helped raise capital and we were the largest LP, but, uh, at the end of the day, didn't have the f- time and focus on it. And uh, we had different people ru- running the funds, but ultimately they left and started their own, which we, we helped support and invest in and stuff. But it just wasn't our core competency. And they're, they're, do- they're doing well on paper, but haven't seen any liquidity events. And it's just a different, totally different I- industry and business. So we're really just learning to focus and try to, you know, keep, you know, compounding and growing the, the business that we've, yeah. we've been do- doing. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any other areas um, which you kind of hope would sort of take off, but uh, because of your focus, maybe it may not be the right time to, you know, do much with it right now? Um, great question. I mean, we've, we started a 501c3 called Resident Relief Foundation, which we've, we've helped a few hundred people that are uh, at risk of being evicted due to a one-time financial crisis. So we, we saw when we were, you know, touring buildings or our own buildings where, you know, you, you've had residents that have been there a long time. They've been great renters, but they fall upon a unexpected hardship. And, you know, it's, it's um, you know, I, I, I wish maybe later in life to really focus on that again and, and scale it. But that is even in 501c3 is a business and needs to be run as a business. And, you know, we've, I wish we were able to help 20, 30,000 people. And I think if I focus just on that, you know, we, we would be able to. But I, at the same time, I got to run my, you know, for-profit sure. business and, and, and maybe, uh you know, make that very successful and then be able to give back uh, later a little bit in life. But I still, I still, we're still very charitable, you know, Gelt sponsors a ton of different um, philanthropies. I'm on the board of many different, you know, organizations. And, um, but at the end of the day, I got to just learn, uh, yeah, learn to focus on, you know, what makes us tick, which is buying apartments and buying self-storage and uh, growing those verticals. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, Keith, as you look at sort of, uh, you know, your path through through this uh, experience and, um, you know, obviously there are others who would love to get involved in the business, whether it's, you know, with you or whether it's on their own. Um, what would be some pieces of advice that you would you would give to folks about, you know, how to enter this, you know, world of, you know, commercial real estate or multifamily real estate? Um, you know, maybe even some pieces of advice you would give to your younger self. Yeah, um, great question. So I always tell people there's no one right path. It's, it just depends more on how you're wired. So um, some, for some people, it's, it's, it's great to get experience and you get paid, you know, having a job. So, you know, work, working in the brokerage business, um, you know, is, is invaluable. Get, getting to see how deals are modeled and dealing with owners and, and buyers and just immersing yourself in the industry um, on the broker side, um, my wife did tenant rep, uh, office leasing and, uh, did some investment sales as well. So, or, or just start small like we did, right? Like we didn't have many resources. So we started very small and, you know, learn by doing that's in my opinion. And for me, like the best way of, of learning, um, you know, the mistakes that we made were small with, with small dollars and it was our own money right. for the first few deals. So, um, but yeah, I'd say, uh, or if you know, either work for someone you admire, um, or or add, try to add value to them. You know, I'm I'm always talking to people if they uh, if they bring me a deal, they bring me an investor. That, that's the you know lifeblood of our businesses: deals, investors, and you know people to help operate them efficiently. So, um, always trying to add value for others. I'd say is is a good one. And just uh, having a thesis and trying to you know believe it and stick with it. Like there's so many different asset classes to be involved in so many right. different parts parts of the business and you could be successful being on the lending side and some of these lenders you know we have a lot of successful lenders that invest with us because they you know produce a lot of cash flow from their from their business and they they want to you know diversify or and we have a lot of brokers investing with us or a lot of title rep people investing with us so there's uh there's attorneys in the business that invest yeah. with us there's yeah. so many different people that real estate touches um, so trying to figure out w- what part of the industry and which asset class and sort of, you know, try to break in, like in the early days, we hired people with no experience really and, tra- and train them. So, um, it's hard nowadays with Gal, we- we're hiring with people with more experience just because we're, you know, been, been in the business a while, we're able to pay, you know, market wages. But when we were starting, you know, it was like, we just were looking for young, hungry people that, um, you know, had, had a lot of room to grow with us. So. I sort of recommend that for some people if they're more entrepreneurial to uh, either start or, or join a, a small, you know, growing group. Yeah, and learn learn as you go. It sounds like correct. Yep. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Well, Keith, um, this has been great. Thank you so much for uh, telling us a little bit about your organization and what you guys are up to. Um, look forward to sort of hearing how the next couple of years go and um, uh, learning more about sort of how uh, the path to, uh, to to that experience went. So thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. And uh, if anyone wants to connect with me, they could feel free to shoot me an email. It's uh, Keith at geltinc.com or follow me on uh, social media. I'm very active on uh, Twitter and LinkedIn. So uh, I'll see you out in the social media space. That was another episode of the Real Perspectives podcast, and we thank you for taking the time to listen to it. Conversations like these help us comprehend our evolving industry better and hopefully provide a perspective that helps you understand the dynamics of commercial real estate. 
If you like this episode, please subscribe to our show and tell your colleagues about it. That is the best way to spread the news and help us remain relevant across the industry. Cheers. Cheers.